You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magnet Theater Podcast. I am Lewis Kornfeld. This afternoon I am talking with Michael Gertz, Mike Dakota. I got that right? Uh, uh, two-thirds along with uh, TJ Shanoff, who is not here. Two-thirds of the creative team who are bringing us Blank the Musical. Uh, um, I just want to start off by reading a couple of paragraphs from today's New York Times. This is by Ben Brantley in the Times. Witty and likable in refreshingly unaggressive ways, the performers of Blank seem to have a genetically coded knowledge of the forms, formulas, and cliches that make up the bulk of contemporary musicals. These are shows that, as TJ Maddox's MC pointed out in the beginning segment, take an average of five years and millions of dollars to incubate. And yet the finished products, results of arduous research and marketing surveys, so often seem to wind up as a desperate compilation by committee of the same old cliches. I can think of a few recent shows that had less coherence and tonal consistency than directing One Direction, the name of the particular blank the musical that he saw. Big time producers might want to devote an hour and a half to blank. It would probably depress them, but it could also turn out to be an invaluable exercise in consciousness raising. Congratulations on that. That's amazing. Uh, 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 Guys, could you take us through for people listening who haven't seen the show blank the musical? What would people be in for when they went to go? Sure. Um, first of all, thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Lewis. Pleasure. Uh, Blank the Musical is the completely uh, unscripted and interactive musical theater experience. We've got a team of the best musical improvisers throughout the country, and the audience comes into the theater, and they help craft and build the musical that they want to see that night by filling in the blanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use a, a mobile app, to our knowledge, the first time any uh, production is used in this way, uh, to get suggestions from the audience of possible titles for the show, possible songs they would hear within the show, a crucial component of the musical score, a line of dialogue, and a dance move. And uh, taking those suggestions, the actors create and weave together an intricate story um, with hilarious characters and touching moments and love songs and variety numbers and all the things that you would expect to see in a legitimate scripted piece of musical theater. It's just that ours is completely made up on the spot. Can you explain the way that the audience has uh, uh, input in the actual music in the show as well? Because that's pretty fascinating. I don't think I've ever heard of that before. Sure. Uh, We certainly don't expect anyone in the audience to have a musical degree, although I'm sure there are plenty of folks who do. Uh, The way we go to them for the musical cues, we simply ask for a letter between A and G. We do that four times, mm. and that, of course, coincidentally gives us notes that correspond to notes on the keyboard or uh, you know, in a scale, and we'll get a couple of different sets of four notes, and then using the app, the audience gets to vote on which set of four completely audience-generated gener- and fully arbitrary notes they want to hear. Mm. Typically, the audience picks the more atonal, dissonant, and impossible set of notes. Is that from a perversion on on uh, their part, or is it just musical ignorance? You think? No oh no, it's pure perversion. It's, it's yeah. on purpose. It's on. It's very much they uh, they they want to see a tightrope walker on a windy day. Yeah, <laughs> not on not on a day with nice weather. So they want to see how Mike and his band and the improvisers can deal with uh, 
an ugly sounding set of notes. That's yeah. exactly it. And the, the windier the day, uh, the more impressive the accomplishment by the end. I think in that Ben Brantley review, you you were quoting at the top of it, he starts by lamenting this earworm that got stuck in his head for days on end. <laughs> that even with a heavy dose of Andrew Lloyd Webber, he couldn't push out of his brain. Yeah. Uh, and that particular tune was the audience generated dissonance. Yeah. Uh, and, and so with that, you know, the harder it is to compose, I think the bigger the payoff ultimately mm-hmm. is. Mike, you're the musical director of the show. I am the music director of the show. That's and, and you front a trio. Is that right? I do. I am very lucky to work with two of the most incredible musicians I've ever had the honor of working with, uh, Al and Daniel. I've got Al on drums and Daniel is woodwinds and reeds. So he'll play, you know, five or six different instruments in the course of the show. And it's, it's the first time, uh, in a improvised musical band experience that I've had this particular instrumentation. Mm -hmm. So I think Daniel's what the woodwinds bring us is that real Broadway sound. He is able to recreate what feels like a legitimate old school Broadway orchestra. You add in the, you know, the oboe or the clarinet or the flute and it it just, it sounds classic. Uh, It's pretty great. The full orchestral sound that Mike gets out of these three guys is incredible. I can't tell you how many people I've had walk up to me and say that band, the sounds that they make when they're just three of them. Um, it's it's wildly impressive. And let's save a little credit for the guitar. <laughs> so Mike brings in a brings in a guitar on the first preview. He has a, he, he, it was a gift. Did somebody give it to you? Yeah, my friend Tor Bear is a music director in Chicago and Boston. It's the, it's the first day in the yeah. theater, so the, so everything's all set, and he walks in with a with a guitar on his back and is like, "I'm using this." <laughs> and, and me and Shanoff and I are looking at each other like. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> the guitar sits on top of the piano, and he's he's brilliant with the guitar too. Of course, he is. So we send him out. All right, the guitar stays. I like to think of the guitar as a character in the show. I, I just like that even even the instruments were ultimately in the end made up on the spot. Right. No, that's it. I think Chekhov said that if you see a guitar in the first act, you have to play it by the third act. <laughs> so cherry orchard, right? It's cherry orchard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um. Uh. I apologize if this is a grading question. I'm sure you've been asked this a thousand times already, Mike, but uh, um, how does a trio of musicians uh, practice? How do you keep yourselves in tune with one another so that you have the ability to conjure a full on Broadway musical several times a week? It's not grading at all. It's a fantastic question. It's the same way that the improv ensemble practices. I mean, I spent the last 10 or 15 years bridging the divide between music and improv and music and theater. And it turns out it's not so much a divide as a completely complementary art. So, you know, you look at uh, a lot of improv teachers make references to jazz music. Well, there's a, there's a reason there are a lot of commonalities, a lot of the same principles. So we are rehearsing group mind in the same way you would in a one-on-one improv class. And we are rehearsing, uh, offers, initiations, and how to listen to those offers, initiations, how to build off of them, how to, do, how to uh, hone in on a musical game and heighten the game. We're looking for patterns. It's active listening. It's active yes and. So our band rehearsals bear a striking resemblance to our improv rehearsals. Mm. And there has to be, I imagine, a really tremendous harmony between you guys and the cast as well to be able to volley all of this tremendous amount of information back and forth with each other. So when you guys were putting the show together, what were uh, um, 
what were elements that you were looking for in your performers that you knew would would jive really well with what you can already do? Yeah, the for the show to accomplish what we wanted it to accomplish, which was um, comedy, sure, but comedy is the is the that's table stakes. Mm-hmm. What what we wanted to be different for Blank the Musical was that it felt like musical theater. In in fact, in in much of our marketing, we've actually avoided the word improv. Mm-hmm. Um, to Improv means a different thing to improvisers mm-hmm. like us than it does to the general general public. Mm-hmm. Their perception of improv as being shtick and bits because it often is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've we've said unscripted musical theater or interactive theater um, to try to to try to elevate it to a place where you want to see a musical. This really is a musical. Mm-hmm. And so in finding the right folks, it became essential that we found people that would be every bit at home in a short form improv show and a Broadway musical. So mm-hmm. we had to find people with that actor sensibility, with that voice, with that stage presence who also have the quick wits and improv chops. It's yeah. a real unique skill set yeah. that we were looking for. Half the cast comes from Chicago and they're folks that Mike and I have been working with for literally years, some of them over a decade yep. now. Uh, and then the other half of the cast, you know, we did auditions in Boston. We did auditions in New York. There were over 1,500 actors in consideration for the show, uh, an extensive, really it was a marathon weekend of auditions and callbacks in New York. And we had folks auditioning with extensive Broadway credits on their resume, folks who have done everything and every, I mean, really everything in, in the comedy world and improv world. And ultimately the cast that we were lucky enough to find is a cast comprised of people who understand comedy it's in their core and they understand theater and musical theater. You know, the bulk of our rehearsal process is research. Mm-hmm. It's understanding crawling inside the skin of a Broadway score. And, uh, while there are a lot of improvisers who I think love theater and love musicals and probably more who hate theater and hate musicals, uh, love and or hate wasn't enough. We mm-hmm. needed people who really understood it, who eat, sleep and breathe theater and music theater. Um, because as Mike was saying, what we were looking to uh, what we were looking to accomplish in this show uh, was more than the kind of improvised musical that Mike and I have been doing for many many years and absolutely love. But to put something up that a traditional theater going audience would not just enjoy, uh, but something that would really shake their shake the foundation of what they think they know about theater. Yeah. To, to put it you know, modestly. Yeah. That, that blurb that you read by Brantley at the end of the review is um, is incredibly rewarding to me and TJ and to Mike because it's a belief that I've had since I was first introduced to musical improvisation that a, a, a particular song and therefore a particular scene and therefore a particular musical when everything is just right mm-hmm. can be every bit as good as one that you script beforehand. Mm-hmm. I knew that because I'd seen it. Mm-hmm. I just hadn't seen it very often or very consistently. And this whole project came from let's let's prove it. Um, let's prove that you can create that on the spot. And um, a, a, a big reason we got to getting so much input from the audience was, first of all, to uber prove that it is improvised. But secondly to extend that we are creating something wonderful and instantaneous mm-hmm. in this moment. Now it's we 
capital we and the audience, the audience and the actors together are instantly creating this thing. And I, I think that's a, you know, I'm going to get up on my soapbox for a second here. Let's and do put, it. put Let's my do it. Uh, artistic director of Improv Boston hat on for a moment. Uh, I should mention that Mike is also the artistic director of Improv Boston. Oh. Did you guys know that Mike is the artistic director of Improv Boston? Guys, I appreciate you mentioning that I'm the artistic director of Improv Boston. What you're about to hear is going to make a lot more sense with that knowledge. Great. I've entirely forgotten what I wanted to say. <laughs> soapbox. <laughs> soapbox. Uh, so one of the things that has driven me for a long time, and I know a lot of the folks I, I, I have respect for and collaborate with is the idea that improvisation is not just sort of hack comedy club mm-hmm. uh, art form. It's, it's a comedy art. It's, it's theater is a form of theater. And in a day where you want to go see a show in New York or Boston or Chicago, you're going to shell out hundred dollars minimum for a ticket. And you're mm-hmm. going to sit in an audience filled with mostly affluent white old people. Uh, we are at a, we are at a, dangerous stage, I think, uh, for the larger art form of theater. And when you look at how accessible the rest of the art world and performing arts is becoming, you know, we all, we can make our own YouTube videos. We can make our own songs on GarageBand. We are not just consumers, but we are creators and we can access art 24 hours a day, seven days a week for free on the phones in our pocket. Mm-hmm why would anyone pay $150 to go see a musical uh, and sit in a dark room for two and a half hours, right? Uh, it's a, the stakes are getting higher. And I think when we look at Im- what improvisation can bring that traditional theater uh, is more limited in this idea of an immediate performance in a commune with the audience, right? Mm-hmm. We are creating this together. What you are seeing in this room right here, right now will never be seen again. It can't really be seen on video. It can't be seen, you know, in a 15 second clip on Instagram, you have to be here in this moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an experience that's worth paying for. That's an experience that will drive not just the old rich white folks to the theater. Uh, And that's, that's, I know a big part of why improv Boston wanted to get involved in, in this particular show. One of the most uh, common questions I get from our, uh, Blankheads, the people that come over and over again mm. from Blankheads is... Uh, I didn't know they were called that. Yeah, they are now. Right. Uh, they'll, if, if when they miss one, you know, they'll say, what was the title last night? Uh-huh. And that's born completely out of what Mike just identified. They know that this thing happened mm-hmm. and they weren't there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so the, the, what was the title? What was the show that happened in a room mm-hmm. that I'll never know anything about? Yeah. Uh, you can tell me about it, but, I, but uh, the, um, there's something real exciting about the long vision of this thing and uh, the community experience in the room. And I'd like to hope the community experience outside of the room yeah. that, that says, um, I went, I helped create this awesome thing that blew my mind. I can't wait to go back and create another one and another one. Yeah. And I think that drives the, uh, the participation in musical improv that the scene that 15 yeah. years ago was literally nothing. It was one, two groups, right? It was baby wants candy. It was musical, the musical just starting out. And mm-hmm. now there are entire theaters, one in Chicago, devoted to nothing but the art of musical improv. The Magnet has one of the best musical improv training programs in the country. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of performers around uh, America doing this thing. Maybe sometimes it's in front of you know 10 friends and sometimes it's in front of 300 paying audience members. Uh, but there's something we love about creating musicals on the spot. There's something us musical theater dorks absolutely love about getting to do the art form we're obsessed with 
in the moment mm-hmm. and and create it with the audience. Uh, so I think from the performer side, there's a driving force, not just from the audience side. Well, if I can get on my soapbox, do it. Uh, um, I'm sure glad we brought all these soapboxes. I know. The, it, 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 the place is bad. It's a mess in here <laughs> with soapboxes. Uh, um, it's an act of love. There's something about being able to embrace something that you genuinely love and are genuinely passionate about and pull on all of the resources of everything that's available to you from your whole life experience and have to just rely on your wits in the moment to act out of that spirit of love that when it pays off, it, it, it I think that's part of what gives it this sort of electric charge that just doesn't translate into other media it, that you're in the room watching this sort of outpouring of people's passion for this thing that they just truly want to be a part of. It's interesting too, like I really like this idea that the stakes are higher now because because the tools of creativity are so accessible that you have to give a good reason for people to want to be in a theater and 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 feel a sense of ownership over what you're creating. And it it, it makes me think of going back to the early days with the compass of the whole impulse behind improvising to begin with was that uh, theater consisted of museum pieces. It was dead and uh, they just didn't have the theater available to them to express what they wanted to share their, their point of view about life itself. And so it all kind of starts from that ground zero of we need to bring life and spontaneity back into this thing. So we'll begin improvising our own material. It feels almost like a really beautiful way of coming full circle. And by doing it, you guys have, have um, done something really incredible. You've restored a sense of the tightrope quality to improvisation and you've restored a sense of kind of communal ownership over what people are watching. Improv, uh, um, it's really easy for that to kind of degrade into something where you can sort of check out. It, you see a lot of improv that's not much better in quality than anything you could randomly find on TV. Well, and I, Mike, you mentioned earlier, you know, it, when we can make movies with our cell phones, why would I pay $150 to sit passively in the dark? Mm-hmm. Um, the flip side of that is um, if the show only costs five bucks, it must not be very good. Right. I, I think we as an improv community often devalue what we do. Yeah. Um, and it's, I, I don't know why we do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's, I guess it's a, it's a competitive nature thing of like, oh, the th- we're going to be the same night as this show and it's 10 bucks. Let's just make ours five. I just want my friends to be able to come. And I, I understand where it comes from. I but, think that's so right. I, I yeah. mean, what Lewis was saying, you know, what improvisers do is flipping incredible. And, right? we, and we treat it like anybody can do it because, because all our friends can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like hey, I, say, it, right? I say to improv students all the time, I'm like, uh, just because 99% of the people you hang out with can do this, mm-hmm. remember that 99% of the people in the world would never, right. ever do this. And, anytime and it's you, easy to forget that. That's it. It is. Because any anytime you talk to what I always call the, the muggle audience, right, mm-hmm. the, the audience off the street after an improv show, their minds are blown. They don't understand how you can do it. And they say, I could never do anything. I could never do that. I could never think on my feet that quickly. And of course you say, but you can. Here's our, you know, a card for our 101 class. You absolutely can do mm-hmm. this. We believe in the art of improvisation off stage as well as on stage, maybe more so off stage. Uh, and yet we do, like Mike was saying, we see it as the the thing that you can do if you've got five bucks in your pocket and want to go drinking afterwards. Mm-hmm. And yet you'd pay a couple hundred dollars to go see Yo-Yo Ma bring his cello and play his instrument. 
And when the improviser's instrument, like Lewis was saying, is every life experience that that actor has had, everything that they know in the moment, that is the instrument that they're playing on stage. That's a pretty incredible thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, cellos are great, but if I can see someone get up on stage and call in the moment, you know, any number of references or emotions or experiences or relationships, uh, and do that with my involvement as an audience member, mm-hmm. that's an experience I'm not going to forget anytime soon. Well, there's also, because improv is, is so married to comedy, you know, I, I don't, I don't believe that improv is synonymous with comedy, but it oftentimes will lead to it. And so, you know, there's a, they're in bed together. And, and people do think they are synonymous, by the way. Muggles. Well, the uh, many muggles of do. Them, many of them do. And the word improv doesn't help anything. Right. Because the context immediately conjures up of we're about to make up a bunch of stuff for the purpose of making you laugh. And once the laugh has been accomplished, we'll move on to the next damn thing. And, um, uh, the hell was I going to say? I completely I inter- lost I my interrupted train of you. But it's not always com- it's not always comedy. It's not always comedy. Uh, um, no, I've lost that train of thought. But I have another different train of thought. Great. that I'll go into with this. Uh, um, I want to talk about the way that you guys are marrying those two worlds of improvisation and theater, uh, um, because I think most people's expectation when you watch improv is simply that something funny is going to happen, and then I can go get a drink and not really care about it too much. Whereas when you are watching a piece of theater or a really beautiful movie or a beautiful concert, you expect something more of a meaningful experience to grow out of that. Uh, um, And the marriage of those two worlds uh, um, seems to bring out the best of both sides of it, that you expect something of value and resonance, but you're still being dazzled by people's abilities in that moment, you know, which again, sort of seems like that sort of is the meta goal of going back to 1955. You sort of, it's very easy to lose the way from that. Uh, um, what's been the goal in your mind in terms of the full on experience that you want people to have? And what have you guys learned by bringing, by bringing this creature to life and giving birth to it in the world of theater, in the world of, of well, Broadway? Yeah. That's an awesome question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had, you know, a, we had the point of view that an unscripted musical could be every bit as moving and effective and rewarding to an audience Mm -hmm. as a scripted musical. And if we wanted to uh, prove that point of view, we needed to put it in a theater where you would go see a scripted musical with a budget somewhat commensurate with what you would use to put on a scripted musical, Mm -hmm. that production value, that machine behind it and absolutely the talent behind it. So so some of it was uh, putting, (laughs) um, putting our literal money where our metaphorical mouth is and making sure that we actually were treating this like a piece of theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been a uh, tremendous undertaking. It's been a very challenging and very rewarding to take this thing that Mike and I have done for that years and years and years now yeah. and put it up in this way. And it's where I would bring uh, executive producer Matt Britton into the conversation. Yeah. Thank he's, you. he's not in this room. Uh, he saw the uh, original run of this show off Broadway, which Michael Gertz had put together. And, you know, we were in this uh, dirty little <laughs> off Broadway theater above a prison. Uh, New Yorkers may know which one I'm talking about. Uh, and it was an incredible run. And it was just uh, our cast, a couple of chairs and a grand piano. And 
Matt Britton saw that show. And for the two years from that show till we open now, he has been working tirelessly and passionately behind the scenes to bring what he calls a plus up production into the world. Mm -hmm. So the idea of this show has something unique, it's special. And if we can get it in front of a theater going audience, they will lose their minds. And to do that, we need to scale up the production so it feels more theater and less sort of stereotypical improvisation. Yeah. And uh, he's been an incredible force in making that happen. I, he has done wonders to protect us or at least protect me. Poor Michael Gertz has had much more exposure to the world than I have, but uh, protect us from the ins and outs of fundraising and putting together a production team and contracting with the Broadway producing entities that are making the show happen and new world stages and all the stuff that very quickly drains the fun out of a production. Mm -hmm. Um, because on the improv side, the cast has to feel like they can play and they can have fun and they can't feel the pressure of Ben Brantley from the New York times is coming to watch the show mm -hmm. or Hey, we have an equity contract now and that means X, Y, Z or right. They, because we're in an idiom where the process is the product. If the actors are stressed during the process, that stress translates to the product. Mm -hmm. So, uh, one of the more interesting elements in, quote unquote, plussing up this production for me has been how can we protect the cast, help them keep their eyes on the improv prize so that when they take stage, it's joy and confidence and heightened yes anding mm -hmm. as opposed to all of the technical uh, technical concerns that often come along with the production on this scale. Mm -hmm. uh, um, can you take me through the steps of um, mounting a show of this scale? One thing that I think holds a lot of improvisation back from being really focused and from creating the kind of theatrical experience that you guys are talking about is simply the kind of bafflement of the amount of work that has to go into, into creating it work and money yeah. and time. And I think most improvisers talk a big game, but uh, uh, when the time comes to have to determine a course will become, they'll be scared off by that sort of work. So what, what are for, for budding producers listening to this podcast, what are the steps that have to be taken uh, uh, um, to see your dreams through? Oh, Jesus, that was no, that was awesome. Soapbox has gotten the way. Yeah. Michael, give you some of the some of the details because he really was uh, leading the charge on the production end of things. Uh, but I will say, one of the more interesting aspects of rehearsing and producing a show on this scale is understanding fully the two worlds you're trying to bridge. Mm -hmm. So understanding what it takes to produce a phenomenal improv show and also understanding the high New York standards for a traditional uh, full-scale theatrical musical production mm -hmm. and figuring out what are the likely areas of intersection where those two worlds play together nicely mm -hmm. and maybe even uh, build off of each other. And then what are the elements that are going to be points of friction elements where, you know, your lighting designer who happens to be a Tony award winning lighting designer reasonably expects to know what the show should look like, you know, some point before we open. Mm -hmm. um, but then on the improv side of things, knowing, well, we can't tell you what the show is going to look like because it's going to be different every night. So figuring out 
where are we where are we already in sync and where do we have to create a new paradigm mm-hmm. so our tony award winning lighting designer i'm going to keep saying tony award winning lighting designer uh is the it's his first name right yep i'm pretty sure he had it legally changed <laughs> yeah. as i would if the show ever was jeff last name's quarter yep. <laughs> right it's sort of like earning a phd or an md it's like you've earned the right that's to, right to have to share that with people it's just after the comma in your name every time yeah uh but to get to work with Jeff on creating a new approach to lighting design for a musical Mm -hmm. and to work with our sound designers, Matt and Kim, who had to figure out how do you professionally sound design a show where you're miking all the actors and you're miking the instruments and you have no idea who's going to be on stage when, who's going to be singing loud, who's going to be whispering. How do you do all of that? And in a way where the actors and the band can hear each other perfectly, because without that, we can't improvise a show. Mm -hmm. There are little things that the audience ideally will never notice or pick up on, but man, a vast amount of work went into making that happen. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then a stage manager and Katie, who's never called an improv show before, who's orchestrating the whole thing, um, and making it work on that side of things. Um, the, I think a, a, a big thing for me that this is, process from the very beginning from our workshop productions two and a half years ago all the way through Matt Britton coming in and making this thing shine and bringing in an even larger team um, a couple things one is a, a, a clear vision about who you are and and what you what you want to be mm-hmm. um, uh, the the best possible people <laughs> that you that you can find um, the um, making sure that you're working with the people that um, first and foremost that you want to work with, that you love working with. And I would put talent second, second every time Mm -hmm. um, to that. And um, third, um, and this this is, this is where I do think a lot of improvisers fall short. And I touched on it before, uh, not devaluing what it is that you do. Mm -hmm. If, If you want to create something that's not just improvisers performing for improvisers that goes out to a larger thing, you need to um, embrace how uh, difficult and how beautiful and how uh, challenging what it is that you do and and make that part of your story that you're putting together, um, both in how you're marketing it and how you're framing it um, in the theater itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the beauty and curse of improvisation, I say this to students too, is um, that you can be real lazy and put up an improv show right? <laughs> like it did cause it doesn't take much. Mm-hmm. And like, like we said earlier, anybody can do it. And that's, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, to, to put up a massive production, like, like, um, our team has managed to do here, you can't be lazy and do that. Yeah. And for the actors, you know, they, we rehearsed, uh, oh five days a week, mm-hmm. eight to 10 hours a day, uh, for three, four weeks and then had a traditional Broadway style tech week. And mm-hmm. those are not, typical improviser hours and the sacrifices that the cast made, you know, four of them from Chicago who moved to New York to do this production and put their whole lives on hold. You know, it's, that's an incredible dedication of time. And those of us who have worked at second city and and a bunch of us have, you know, we, we are fairly used to the idea of comedy as a full-time job and and what that takes. Uh, But to 
make a leap off a cliff like this without knowing, oh, it's a 50-year-old institution that will probably be there through my next paycheck. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, to make that kind of leap is really, um, it takes a lot of courage and maybe even more courage to then not carry that pressure with you into the rehearsal room and onto the stage. Because I, um, we have, well, gosh, it started with, when when we had the chance to put up the, this this show, the workshop version of this show, we called One Night Only. Um, uh, we changed the title to Blank the Musical because Blank the Musical is a better title. Mm. And um, But when we were calling it One Night Only, I a- approached Mike D and TJ and then eventually um, the roster of actors that we've used. Um, man, on a prayer. Because I because there, there was this thing that I thought we could create together, but I couldn't promise that it would work. I certainly couldn't promise them any money. Mm-hmm. Um we, we were all Chicago-based, save for Mike, who was like recently in Boston at that point, and said, do you want to take this plunge with, with me and, and try to put this thing together? And going back to, again, just grabbing people that you desperately want to work with, to my great delight, everyone said yes. And um, this, yeah, you know, every, every night our, we, our host, TJ Mannix, gets up there in the theater and says, you know, uh, we together are going to create something that's never been done before. And uh, that gets me every time because on the macro level, that's exactly what our team has done mm-hmm. <laughs> together. And, mm-hmm. and it, we had to do it together. Um, we created something that's never been done before. Um, and I don't know, days like uh, days like opening night and days like today, um, when you look back at how far this thing has come, um, it's it, it just makes me incredibly grateful that we have managed to assemble um, the team that we have. And I think that's not uncommon in improvisation right you feel I that way about t- your herald totally. team you feel that way about you know whatever touring company you're on you feel like this is these are more than peers or people i get to do wacky make ups with these 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 are my friends these are my family mm-hmm. right it's so to have a group of people that you trust is not just uh, a nice side effect of a show like this you have to. Otherwise, how can you step out on stage with 300 people who have paid $70 a ticket to see you and you have no score and you have no libretto and you have no script and you don't have any pre-existing, uh, you know, lighting cues or songs to say, we are confident we are going to give you more than your $70 worth. We're going to give you an experience that you have never seen uh, and you're going to walk out of this theater and you're going to want to come back the next show. It takes an immense amount of confidence, not so much in yourself, but in your team, in mm-hmm. your ensemble. And, and that goes for our stage manager and our band and every actor on the stage and the production team, too. It's a it's maybe the most heightened version of got your back I have ever been a part of. Yeah. Well, that brings up something interesting, too, because apart from the financial risk, uh, um and the time investment that goes into it. I also want to go back to what you were saying, Michael, about starting off by kind of believing in yourself and and knowing what you have to say and knowing what you love. Because I also imagine that a lot of really terrific improv is stymied on the way towards becoming something a little bit more resonant or, or a little bit more accomplished just from a perspective of artistic uncertainty that when you have to sort of take that leap off the cliff and you don't know improv again, the thing that is sort of a drag about it is you're rewarded 
for basically dicking around. You can get away with dicking around and not taking it too seriously, and people will still like it enough that that you don't really have to cope with that uncertainty of like, okay, I'm about to put all my chips on this now and really go for it. Artistically, do I have enough in me that's worth taking that risk? Am I going to get up on the stage and sort of find of like nobody's interested in what I have to say or what I think about anything? Yeah. And I think that's the blessing and the curse of, of improvisation is it's so accessible. Mm-hmm. You know, right. take a year long program at the magnet or at improv Boston, and you're going to graduate with the ability to do a decent scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're going to graduate with 300 other students who also have the ability to do a decent scene. And so you're going to start performing short form and Harold and you're going to have at least moderate success and you're going to start seeing how this art form influences your life off stage. And you now call yourself an improviser because you are an improviser, but that might mean a commitment of one night a week, mm-hmm. right? So you can keep your career, you can keep your day job and you can do this as a social and artistic outlet that does not require a whole lot of physical, emotional, or monetary investment. And Mm -hmm. I think that is a phenomenal thing. That's what makes it a people's theater. Mm -hmm. Um, On the flip side, if you've been bitten by the bug and you've been bitten hard, this is what you want to do for a career. Well, that takes substantial personal investment and you are most certainly carving out a very difficult path for yourself, Mm -hmm. right? To make the leap to where this can be a career that's the leap off a cliff that few people are ready to make. And I don't mean ready from a talent perspective. I mean, ready from a psychological and style of life perspective. Uh, you know, the reason TJ Shanoff can't be here and he's the director of the show uh, is that he's doing the freelance hustle. He makes his living directing and music directing uh, comedy. And he's back on a cruise ship right now for second city mm-hmm. because that's where his next paycheck is coming from. And because he loves it. Uh, but you know, that's, that's the lifestyle. He doesn't get to linger in this moment. Uh, it's not all heart. A lot of it is head and even more of it is what's in your pocket today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, you know, on the like, um, you know, uh, improvisers uh, dicking around thing. And like, by the way, that some of my, favorite ensembles that I play with or that's that's what we do. I say it lovingly. No, I know. Me and and I second that because um some of the most you know fun moments I've had on stage, memorable things and also like successful shows. Mm-hmm. Like if if you're up there having a blast, um you know the audience tends to have a blast too. Um I think what uh oftentimes those shows are lacking um from a that differentiates it from from more traditional theater is simply point of view. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like What's the, what's the point of view of what you're trying to accomplish here? Mm-hmm. Why, why should I come to the theater this day? When you say point of view, mm-hmm. do, are you talking about the effect that you're intending the audience to walk away having had? I, I, I mean, what are you saying? Uh-huh. What are you saying? Because, uh, so it, it, Blank the Musical, for example, it, any show may have a different point of view if the show makes some point about a love mm-hmm. or uh or uh, whatever whatever that individual show may be about but the production every night um there's a specific point of view about uh musical theater that's <laughs> that, that we love it and and you can help us make it right here and now yeah um and um Improvised Shakespeare comes to mind as an ensemble, like with a clear point of view, Just right? Say that. That, the, that, that show every night um, it, it loves William Shakespeare, brings that into it. And uh, regardless of the it, what that individual show says, you kind of know what they're saying, mm-hmm. 
night in and night out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think a lot of improv shows do that. Not all improv shows need to do that, mm-hmm. but I do think, um, I, I, I do think it w- heck it was something that we absolutely needed if we wanted to produce, um, a show at new world stages. Mm-hmm. We, we had to have, we had to have a, sh- we had to stand for something. Well, it, it, it feels to me, what is this? The flying trapeze, right? Where mm-hmm. you're on like one and then mm-hmm. kind of, uh, um, a career in improv feels to me a little bit like being on a flying trapeze where you build up a certain amount of momentum and a certain amount of joyfulness. And then there comes a critical point where you have to reach out for that next rung. Yeah. And if you don't reach at that critical point, the momentum begins to go down. And that's where a lot of people go into the, what am I doing with my life phase where you can kind of feel it slowing and you don't know where to go. That act of courage to reach out when you're not exactly certain that you're going to grab that next bar. I don't know what it's called. Uh, um, that seems to me to be so uh, uh, entangled with, with what you're talking about, about point of view, which is interesting because it goes beyond improv. It, it, I would argue that you could say that about musical theater in general. The tra- American tradition of musical theater is very much about this sort of meta context of um, high-spirited celebration. And so you're seeing a variety of different stories telling all kinds of different people's uh, uh, tales, but all falling under this umbrella of celebrating it in in a heightened theatrical environment that has the audience buzzing. So it's really interesting because I think it's a question that a lot of improvisers don't ask, I think, just because you kind of feel a little bit lost at sea sometimes of what's my point of view? What do I want? What do I love? And how do I want to create that experience? And a lot of those ensembles are formed collectively yeah. by people that love each other from a class. Yeah. I love playing with you. You love playing with me. Let's form a group. And now there are seven of you. And guess what? That's seven different points of view. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that, that, that's why at the second city that they, they create sketch reviews mm-hmm. that they, they'll never create a narrative on their main stage. They create a sketch review because mm-hmm. those actors write it and it has room for six or seven points of view. Mm-hmm. Um, but so when it's an improv show every night and unless, unless you have decided um, either because you've come to consensus or because a, a, a leader has come in in the way of a director or a producer or something and said, this is what we're setting out to accomplish here. You'll always have those multiple points of view, which again, is not a bad thing, but it's a, but it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. I think, you know, we are exploring an art form where we're always trying to be in the moment. Uh, you look at a second city review and it's moments. It's a, it's an hour and a half of really wonderful, finely honed moments. Uh, you look at any good, uh, mostly long form show. It's a series of moments and maybe a structure like an Armando or a Herald gives you the vocabulary to string a bunch of wonderful moments together, but it comes down to actors being in a moment, embracing that moment, and then moving on to the next moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think when you look at the bigger picture of how do you make a career in comedy, it's forcing you to live outside of that moment, Mm -hmm. and it's forcing you to project what's going to happen 10 moments from now, Mm -hmm. or what you want to happen 10 moments from now, and that's usually spelling, you know, that's a recipe for disaster for any improv show. And uh, a lot of times... I do, I do a lot of career coaching. It's one of my favorite parts of, uh, of the job. Uh, and it's, it's really hard to watch a performer struggle with the concept of where do I want to be in two years? Where mm-hmm. do I want to be in five years? What will I have to sacrifice to get there? And all you want to say to them is, don't worry about it. Do you love what you're doing right now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you do just keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, you want to do it more? Great. Add, add another night to your schedule. And uh, you want to teach? 
great. Try teaching, add teaching. Now you're getting a paycheck. Um, you have an opportunity to be in a national touring company. Great. Do it because you love it, not because you need the money, Mm -hmm. but now you're getting money. All right. Now step back and look at this moment. How much of your paycheck is coming from improv? Oh, 50%. Well, that's pretty good. What other improv or what other comedy or what other arts related pursuits would you like to add to it? That might also contribute to that income. So in an ideal world, you're never, uh, just jumping off that cliff we've been talking about mm-hmm. so hard and fast that you can't open a parachute, you sure. know? And yeah. It's, it's no great wonder that if, if you study improvisation for years and years, you know, the necessary years it takes to get good at it, you are training yourself to be comfortable with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So it's no wonder that improvisers, sometimes we struggle to make decisions yeah. <laughs> because we're, we're more comfortable than most by our training, by being like, huh, what will be, will be. That's an interesting point. But we also like to eat, yeah, you know, right. <laughs> yeah. there, there's a point where the uncertainty and the hunger or need to pay rent, uh, converge. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. And we also learn to be in the moment, right? So when somebody's sitting there saying, I don't know what to do, I don't know whether to take this job. I don't know whether to quit my J job. I don't, um, I think sometimes that the, be, being stagnant is is born out of a, a finely tuned skill set. <laughs> yeah, there, there is definitely an attitude of well, something wonderful is going to happen. We're, we're we're tuned to that frequency where we're predisposed to assume that whatever scene we're stepping into is eventually going to lead to some wonderful connection between these two or three human beings, mm-hmm. and sometimes that can get in the way of of just being decisive. Yeah. about where you want to be. Well, you said something wonderful, which reminds me of Jeff Sweet's book, Something Wonderful Right Away, which has kind of been one of the almanacs for mm-hmm. uh, for improv and for uh, the Second City experience for quite a while. Uh, and Jeff Sweet, uh, who's a friend, came to see Blank the Musical a few nights ago and had some really, really nice words and, and, and some great insights. And, and I think it's the core of this show, which I never thought about until you mentioned the phrase, is is something wonderful right away. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is that idea of it's not, it's not about, is it musical in musical theater? Is it improv? Is it comedy? It's not about categorizing what it has to be. Mm-hmm. It's about just creating something worth experiencing mm-hmm. and doing that in the moment, mm-hmm. you know? And what's cool about blank the musical. And I'm, I'm the most outside of it of anybody on our um, creative team is I, I watch every night and something that the, um, production value has given us and also um, the improv structure that we've, uh, that we've put in the show and the band, all of it creates one hell of a sandbox. Mm-hmm. And um, our show, by its very nature, being improvised, um, sometimes it's like a sliding scale of um, get musical theater um, satire actor land and improv fast and funny bits land mm-hmm. and on a given night we're somewhere in that scale and sometimes the, you know, the ensemble will come out of a show and say man we were playing a lot tonight and having a lot of bits but there wasn't a lot of musical theater there and there have been other nights where it's like man we we nailed the musical theater we didn't miss a single reprise we hit all our marks but it wasn't very funny tonight because i don't think we were having much fun mm-hmm. and the cool thing about the sandbox that we've managed to create with blank is that e- either one of those shows are working yeah <laughs> the audience is still walking out uh satisfied because they have helped to create something wonderful right away. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I'll admit one of the, one of the biggest struggles for the show thus far for me uh, has been coming out of the show and not judging, not Mm -hmm. judging myself, not judging the show. Uh, 
part of the my role in this production as music director, of course, is to give notes and to look at the show as what can we do better. Uh, but like any improv show, you feel you feel like you're on a roller coaster. One show you feel like, man, it doesn't get any better than this. And the other, the next show you're beating yourself up. And the longer you're around improv, the the more you realize the show you thought was the best, your cast, you know, your your scene partner walked out of it and thought that was the worst show that he had ever done. Yeah. Uh, and the cool experience we've had in this show uh, so far is that the audience experience is consistent. It's protected. Right? Mm-hmm. We're getting essentially the same theater-going crowd every night, and they're responding to it with equal enthusiasm every night. And so while we're on this roller coaster uh, as an ensemble, trying to keep in mind the audience experience is actually pretty darn consistent. Mm-hmm. And that alleviates a lot of the uh, you know, the self imposed beating up that we all do. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that's a factor of it that I think is easy to forget sometimes because it, it, I read something recently that I, I, I thought was pretty spot on of, it was talking about receiving criticism. Uh, um, and it was saying that, uh, about getting good notes or bad notes and saying that, uh, uh, oftentimes you're, what you think of as your best stuff rarely looks like your best stuff to other people. And oftentimes what you think of as your shittiest stuff rarely looks like your shittiest stuff to other people. We ourselves being on that roller coaster are just not always the best judges of, of what we're objectively putting out there. I love that. Yeah. I love that thought. You know, it's like when you, you catch yourself on camera for the first time yeah. or the first time in a while and you think, that's what I look like to people. That's yeah. crazy. Or I'll be listening to this podcast whenever it comes out going, Oh God, that I sound like a Muppet. Uh, and in my headphones right now, I sound sexy. This is great. Uh, you know, it's you're a, hearing a very different story from the story that's being communicated. It's to these true. People. You're yeah. hearing the story of you as the central character, either nailing it tonight or, or not playing up to your full potential. Uh, and that's, by the way, another thing that we, we as improvisers mistake we make all the time is we don't hire a director. Yeah. <laughs> exactly what you're talking about. We're yeah. evaluating from the inside. Which no you can't idea. do. Yeah. You can't do it. Yeah. I think that is actually one of the more interesting facets of this experience, uh, which is we've been getting reviews in all of the major, uh, you know, industry papers and blogs and, and other online resources. And these are people who have absolutely no connection to us. They're mm-hmm. not inside the bubble at all. Mm-hmm. We move through the world in our comedy theaters most of the time in a fairly protected bubble. We're yeah. getting feedback from people who we work with all the time. And so when you get a compliment, you don't always take that compliment mm-hmm. because, oh, well, they're just my friend. They know. But to get rave reviews from people who have no predisposition to being kind, yeah. uh, that's it's like you're saying. It's like seeing yourself or mm-hmm. hearing yourself for the first time. Oh, so this is how actual people perceive and receive and experience this show. Yeah, That to me is maybe the most... Um, not flattering. That's not the right word, but significant feedback. It's valuable because um, a, a director I really like at Second City, Pat McKenna, sometimes in rehearsal when we're you know playing with a sketch and playing with a moment, uh, and we'll all crack up, and he'll say, "Funny to us, not really funny," mm-hmm. which is like a really pithy way to put a a, a thing that we've all tra- yeah. trapped to a lot, yeah. right? And in, in theater, they talk about rehearsal laughs, laughs that are funny to. The, the cast mm-hmm. into the um, production team. But in the improv world, 
there are like improviser laughs that we can get night after night mm-hmm. to a paying audience, mm-hmm. right? That that's funny to us, not really funny. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, that does again go back to point of view and what is your show aspiring to do and who are you aspiring to do it for? Yeah. Um, there's something beautiful about the, the playing to the community and the way that we all take care of each other. There's also something limiting about it. Yeah. And I think it's it's about building a cast that is responsive to the audience uh, as though the audience were the director because they are Mm -hmm. every night. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that feedback that we're talking about getting from reviews is very tangible. It's in black and white, but the cast is getting reviewed every night by the audience Mm -hmm. and not in a harsh way, uh, but the audience is letting us know when we listen to them exactly what they want to see and where they respond and where they gasp and where they boo and where they cheer, where they get on their feet. That tells us what this audience wants us to create with them and for them. And I think that is, that is a powerful tool to allow the audience to be your director. And I will say, I think it's easier in this run than in any run I've had in any other improv show because it's not necessarily an improv savvy uh, audience. They don't, this is the first time a lot of them are seeing a scene created on the spot. And Mm -hmm. so they're in some ways, uh, and I don't mean this pejoratively at all. They're like babies, Mm -hmm. right? They're like babies seeing shiny keys for the first time. And they react to the scene the way we as improvisers want every audience to react to the scene. They, they are, uh, taken by the magic that someone can create something from nothing. Well, it's, I'm and, sorry. Yeah, you know, and I'll add to that. That's the and the the flip side of that same thing has been um, that uh, these audiences more than any audiences I, I've ever have uh, don't believe us. Mm-hmm. Oh God! Don't believe that it's improvised. <laughs> when my improviser <laughs> friends come to the show, we spend a lot of time at the top um, detailing precisely what is being made up on the spot. Mm-hmm. Our host goes and interviews Mike in the band. So now none of these notes are thing. No, no notes at all. All of it. This is made up. This is made up. This is made up. He turns to our stage manager and production team. We put a spotlight on them and do an interview with them. Um, we, we are taking a good chunk of time to explain improvisation. That's right. In, in the intro right now, I'm, I'm literally saying, I know a lot of you in the audience are thinking all of the songs have been made up ahead of time and we're just changing the lyrics. That's not true. And then, like Mike said, we take them through a list of every element that's mm-hmm. being made up on the spot. And yet... And yeah, and yeah, and, and yet people, people still on the way out, I'll hear. Now you set the music, right? Yeah. It's like, but we just told you. <laughs> yeah. And so what's what's funny is our improviser friends, I'll bring a improviser friend, they will remark like, man, you really beat the... It's improvised, it's improvised, it's improvised over the head, don't you? And it's like, yeah, we do. And then you turn around to, you know, somebody's mom and they, they still don't believe you. Yeah. Um, so they are like babies. And there's something very exciting about bringing this art form that we all love um, to, to new people. Right. And that, I, I mean, and I take a great responsibility. Like, that, that's right. That, you know, like a, a wonderful, a, a, that's a big, that's a big job that we have the opportunity to do yeah, for, that's for people every night. And I think we're, you know, bringing the soapboxes back for a second. But yeah. that, that's that's why Improv Boston was uh, excited to get involved as a producing partner, uh, improv partner on the project. And it's why a lot of us have been excited about the prospect of bringing improv to this scale and, and to this kind of profile is not just for this specific production, but hopefully there are, you know, positive effects for improvisation for comedy theaters and for musical improv around the country. Well, TJ and Dave say the same thing. Every time they get a notice in the New York times, it's a win for improvisation. 
Right. Uh, um, can I take a sidetrack for one second? Sure. Can you, because you brought up uh, Improv Boston's uh, relationship as a producing partner, can you just explain to those of us who have no experience of that world whatsoever what that means, how Improv Boston is helping? Sure. Uh, well, this is a brand new thing that I, I don't believe there ever, has ever been an improv producing partner uh, on a show like this before. Uh, but the idea is, um, from Matt Britton's perspective, who's the executive producer, we want to bridge the worlds of improvisation and theater at the highest possible level. Mm -hmm. So the best way to do that is to bring in all of the experts we can find. Mm -hmm. uh, so they've got, uh, so Matt reached out to improv Boston as well as to UCB to be sort of co improv producing partners mm -hmm. uh, to provide expertise, to provide resources, uh, for Improv Boston's part, uh, I am the resource that they they provided. Uh, the theater has done an incredible job uh, making it so that I can be here for four days a week and then back in Boston. Uh, but sort of providing um, expertise on on the back end on how do improv rehearsals work, what kind of resources mm -hmm. does one need uh, to rehearse and produce a show like this, uh, help with marketing, help with communications. For Improv Boston's part, you know, we were able to hold exclusive auditions uh, in Boston for the show uh, in addition to the New York auditions. Um, that were held at UCB. So it's, it was kind of a, it was a win-win mm -hmm. all around. Cool. Uh, uh, um, now going back for a second to the amount of time that you guys put into letting people know that it's improvised. I also think that that's a really um, smart way to protect the show and to protect the performers as well, because you're really setting up two different stories for the audience to be following. On the one level, they're following the story which is being developed in real time, the story that they're immersing themselves in and, and believing. But then there's also the other story, which is the story of these performers and technicians who are collaborating together in this moment in order to create this experience for you. Uh, um, which means that when there are moments, and I assume that they must happen, of temporary communication failure, what happens in any given improv show, those are now specially protected. They're rooting for those moments to happen yeah. because it's continuing to tell the story of the people on stage mm -hmm. as well as the characters that are developing. So it's a really, really smart way to create a context that lets people enjoy every moment of what you guys are doing. When, um, when one of our actors break or when one of our actors uh, realizes mid-song that she uh, thought she was reprising one song, but then she switches to the other, mm -hmm. and that, that the audience sees those warts, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, we get a bigger laugh than any show I've ever been a part of. Mm -hmm. And I do think some of that is the extra step that we're taking to frame it uh, at the top and teaching them how to watch it. I think a bigger part is the polish all around it, mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. the, that the production it seeks to be so polished and pure that when those moments inevitably happen, um, you know, a mistake that's not a mistake, it's an opportunity. Or um, an actor, you know, pimping another actor into doing something incredibly difficult, which we do in improv shows all the time, mm -hmm. right? but you don't do it in musical theater. Mm -hmm. So when we do it, it's very selective mm -hmm. and therefore so much more special. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, we're getting huge bang for our buck. I think that's right. I think it's, you know, if you go see funny thing happen on the way to the forum with Nathan Lane, cause you have a time machine uh, and you <laughs> see him and he breaks like that's the audience's favorite part. It's a yeah. brilliantly written show. It's yeah. one of the funniest musicals ever written. And the funniest part for the audience will be when Nathan Lane breaks. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's, you know, our actors are certainly never, never trying to break, but in the moments where an actor 
trips or a chair goes flying into the audience, which happened a few shows ago. Um, those are the moments that couldn't possibly be scripted. Mm-hmm. And I think the audience feels that viscerally, that moment of this is all being made up. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And, and you respond with a laugh, but I think the laugh is more of a joy of, wow, this really is being created for me in this moment and not for any other audience ever again. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really exciting for folks to, to, to witness. And for us, it's essential because it's a constant reminder that this is, that this is improvised, that this is not your regular musical. Well, I think that there's also like a really, there's a tension between polish and blemish that, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you protect your material by keeping it polished and by letting everybody know we've put a lot of care into this and a lot of care into you having the best possible experience that we can produce for you. But anything that's all polish and has no blemish to it lacks character and, 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 it keeps you at a little bit of arm's distance, the distance of just sort of general appreciation, mm-hmm. but you don't really feel a sense of intimacy with anything that doesn't have a few chips on its surface. Yeah, that's right. We, uh, last night, uh, at last night's show, we had a, a friend of the production who's a Broadway composer came to check out the show cause he had been helping us out in rehearsals, doing some research. And, uh, one of his comments after the show was, you know, there were moments where I entirely forgot that this wasn't a scripted musical. Mm-hmm. I was just listening. I'd forgotten about the band because, mm-hmm. you know, it was just a, it's a, just an orchestra like any other show. And then, uh, an actor, like then you, you key changed and the actor wasn't expecting it and, and they scrambled to keep up and then they jumped on it. And I suddenly remembered, Oh my God, this is being created right now in the moment. And the band is making up that key change and somehow knew how to change all at the same time together and the communication that's happening without words. And then he sort of trailed off because his brain hurt too much. You know what I mean? And that's a Broadway composer. That's a guy named John Buchino, who is just the loveliest soul uh, on the planet. And for someone of his talent and experience, to be able to have a moment of, I don't know how you're doing this yeah. is very flattering. Well, there, there's something else I, I want to talk about too, about the way that you guys are, are marrying improv and theater in such a way to, to bring out what we all love about improvisation and share it with people who might not necessarily recognize it. Um, there is a certain level of consumerism to entertainment where we just consume product and let it sort of uh, uh, sedate us. And then Mm. you don't really think too much about the magic or the passion that goes behind it. And so when there are these little blemishes, the key shift that takes somebody by surprise, that calls your attention to, oh my God, uh, 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 this is being created for me, for us. Suddenly you have a sense of... of, a different kind of ownership over that experience. It's not just glomming it down so that you can then go and have a drink afterwards. There's something very special and tender about the gift that you're receiving. Well, and I, and think- I think it's in part because we ask something of you at the beginning. Yes. Right? And and quite ironically, we ask them to do it with their cell phone, uh, which is maybe the the most responsible for like passive engagement, yes. not paying attention to your surroundings, feeling yeah. isolated. And ironically, we're asking them to uh, use their phones to engage with the people on the stage in yeah. a different way and which with the people around them in a different way. And so theater, which has always been a communal experience, it, it, I like to believe that our show is actually even more communal. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's I, I love that we're using like the most 
isolating instrument that we've got <laughs> in our cell phone to make that happen in part. Well, it's also really interesting because, you know, there's a little bit of like shaming in a theater of like, please put your technology away. Right. And so whenever you have that shaming go on, of course, you know, it's just human nature that like the second you get bored by anything, you're going to pull out your phone and mm-hmm. begin checking Facebook. So to be able to like actively let people participate with it in a way, at least in my mind, helps you sort of forget that it's in your pocket of like, okay, I, you know what I mean? Like permission has been granted yeah i think it's very it's just very much the the yes and philosophy writ large you know we don't we don't hide anything we don't uh nothing nothing happens that isn't purposeful right so every mistake is a gift and that includes from the audience perspective you know if if an audience member reacts loudly in the middle of a scene well you know that's getting that's going to find its way on stage like it would in any improv show uh and even more so here where we are asking them to keep their cell phones out and asking them uh, to give us as many inputs as possible uh, and in some ways daring them to uh, to not believe that this is made up because we're going to spend the next 90 minutes proving that it is. And like you, you so artfully said that balance between blemish and polish is something we're always, we're always playing with. And there's a balance between um, disbelief and uh, comfort mm-hmm. um, because if you don't, this is true in any improv show, I think. If you don't quickly establish at the top through your skill, like if you don't establish, hey, this is really hard, but we got this, the audience worries for you mm-hmm. instead of enjoying mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like it would be um, like the difference between, um, you know, watching uh, <laughs> watching two two really good football teams play each other and mm-hmm. watching a good one beat up on a bad one. Mm-hmm. Like, so is like, that bad one Syracuse? Uh, <laughs> this year it is, yes. <laughs> Snap. Yep. I, can't I believe, promised I, can't, I, promised I, can't, I would work that believe, into the podcast. <laughs> I can't believe you're the one who mentioned Syracuse in this podcast. Um, the, uh, and people, by the way, they do. Um, they do. See, now, now you've got me started. People do, uh, uh, improvisers treat improv like a sport in a mm-hmm. lot of ways, mm-hmm. right? Like we don't join a Herald ensemble. We join a Herald team, mm-hmm. right? We don't go to work. We go to play. Who are you playing with? Mm-hmm. Like there are ways that improvisers behave Um, just as much like athletes part of a team and, um, the experience watching it should be similar because it's like, we don't know what's going to happen. We're going to watch these skilled people try to pull it off. And the place where it's different than, than sports, because I agree with everything Michael just said is that the audience, they're not just fans and bystanders. They actually impact the course of the show Uh, and not just at the top giving suggestions. Uh, I remember a couple of shows ago, there was a musical called uh, happy Thanksgiving. Did grandma have to come? And there was a moment where I'm recapping improv plot is always uh, sounds like a fever dream. But in this, uh, in this moment, there was the grandma and then her granddaughter's boyfriend. This is one of my favorite moments I've ever seen on in an improv show. (laughs) Completely agreed. Uh, So they happened to be in a scene together. It was the first time, that they were alone together on stage and they were just having a heartfelt scene as grandma and granddaughter's boyfriend. Uh, and then the audience, it's like the, the most beautiful slow build. The audience starts going, Ooh, Oh, <laughs> Oh no. And you can hear them like reacting to the idea that the, uh, the grandma and the, and the granddaughter's boyfriend are going to somehow be romantically involved, which wasn't on the actor's radar. Uh-huh. It was certainly not any, uh, either Matt Van Coltner, Nicole Hastings intention. Uh, but you can't, 
They, you, they you, heard can't, it. <laughs> you can't ignore that reaction yeah. and it's the audience's show. So Nicole and Matt just do this slow burn, <laughs> like slow take out to the audience, deadpan stare for five seconds. And then like a, okay, <laughs> you want it, you got it. And then that was the rest of the musical. And it's just, I love, I love that moment of visceral audience participation. Cause you, you don't get that, you know, we're, let's bring it back to cherry orchard. Chekhov is amazing. Chekhov yeah. is brilliant. Chekhov is bitingly funny when produced well. Yeah. Um, but you don't get that, always get that level of audience engagement. Almost never. I mean, what show can you think of where an audience would feel comfortable to voice those feelings and even make that sound? Well, cause it comes back to what you're saying, right? It's put your cell phones away, be quiet, yeah. unwrap your candy. Cause I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear you breathe because yeah. you will ruin my $150 <laughs> experience. Yeah. I love that idea that it's the audience show that it, 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 that is such a useful takeaway for, for performers in general to have, but I think improvisers in particular, because culturally as improvisers, I think we can forget that from time to time. And we're so good at taking care of each other, right? If yeah. you're, if you're an improviser worth a damn, you, you take care of each other and you take care of the ensemble and that's the whole thing that makes it work. And, uh, what I think we can all get better at is just taking that out one level further because when you're there with the audience, it's them too, you know? Yeah. So, so finding the ways to bring them in and make sure, uh, before, after, during the show, you're protecting their experience every bit as much as you're fiercely protecting each other on stage. So one of the ideas we play with a lot at, uh, at Improv Boston is a sort of artistic voice of explore, collaborate, connect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as all improvisers do, we explore and we collaborate. That's what class is for. That's what the rehearsal rooms are for. Uh, but we don't get as much opportunity to connect because you don't rehearse in front of an audience, mm-hmm. right? And and you don't take class in front of an audience. So the audience part is the rarest part of the formula. And you don't get to have a class or, or a performance where your teacher can pause the performance and say, now hear what the audience just told you. So that means X, Y, Z, or you know what I mean? We don't have a opportunity to be directed in how to work with an audience unless somehow miraculously you can bring a giant audience into, into your class. Mm-hmm. I saw, uh, gosh, I still remember this is probably a decade ago at, uh, in Toronto, there was, um, was a festival in Toronto and, uh, the Toronto second city cast was performing and for their festival format, they made it an open rehearsal. So mm. it was an improvised show, but their actual real life director was uh, in front of the proscenium and he would call freeze. And then he would talk for a little bit about what he wanted to see the scene do next. Or he would say, all right, I want it. You heard the audience react to that thing. I want you to jump forward and really heighten what the audience just reacted to. Mm. And it was a, it was a wonderfully insightful opportunity that, you know, when do you, when, uh, when do you have that as a, as an improviser? Mike and Michael, it has been a real pleasure talking with you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, um, blank the musical. Is there a website that people can go to, to find out more? They sure can. They can go to blank the musical.com. Yeah. We was that to... blank the musical.com? <laughs> it was blank the musical.com. I thought you said blank the musical.com. We have shows until December 14th at mm-hmm. new world stages. 
blankthemusical.com. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 thank you guys so much for talking, and thank you guys so much for listening. You've been listening again to the Magnet Theater Podcast. Uh, a couple of big thanks to Grant Goldberg, as always, our engineer, to Evan Barden, our producer, uh, and to you guys uh, uh, for listening. Uh, uh, please check us out online to find out more about who we are and what we do. Magnettheater.com is the name of that website. Check out Blank the Musical at blankthemusical.com. Uh, 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 running through December 14th. Thanks very much. Uh, uh, take care, everyone. Thank you so much Thanks for having us. Thank you guys so much for talking. You've been listening to the Magnet Podcast. <laughs>